Welcome to the latest episode of Stage Directions. I'm Ashley Griffin, your theatrical Hermione Granger, and today I have a wonderful special guest with me, the incredible director Rachel Klein. Um, She's worked extensively off-Broadway with The Grateful Dead on the amazing musical Red Roses Green Gold um, and on a lot of really interesting projects, so she's here to talk to me about all things directing. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. I'm excited to talk with you. So I'm going to record your intro later, but you are an incredible director who's worked on lots of amazing projects, um, probably most notably, was it at MCC that you did Red Roses, Green Gold, the Grateful Dead musical? That was at uh, Minetta Lane. Minetta Lane. Yes. Yes. Um, And that was through MWM Live Productions. They were the company that had brought million dollar quartet to Broadway. Awesome. So do you, from your own words, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you've done and the kind of director you consider yourself? Sure. So I direct and sometimes direct and choreograph. Um, I tend to work in musical theater, but I also do straight plays. Um, One of the things that makes me gravitate towards the musical theater world is the ability to be outwardly expressive. Mm -hmm. Um, In a musical, you you have to you just got to sing about it and that allows me to be very creative specifically with the design elements and integrating ensemble into the pieces which is something that brings me great joy yeah um in terms of commercial work i directed around the world in 80 days that was at the davenport theater which is no longer with us uh that was my off-broadway directorial debut that was a straight play um but i staged it very much like a musical it was constantly active and animated uh, five actors portraying 39 different roles so there was a lot of wardrobe comedy that we were working with and everything was very neo-victorian mm-hmm. not quite steampunk no gadgets and gears and whatnot but very very much like an updated rock and roll victorian with splashes of edwardian for good measure nice um i did the anthem which was down at the lynn redgrave theater the culture mm-hmm. project on Bleecker street and that was a lot of fun to work on. We had Randy Jones, the original cowboy from The Village People. Awesome. He was our villain. <laughs> and that was sort of a retro-futuristic totalitarian dictatorship. And these teenaged angsty rebels who lived in the wilderness, who were portrayed by aerialists, mm-hmm. were, were fighting against the man. <laughs> had this very 80s synth music feel to it. So it was kind of like... Um, one of those canon films like uh uh that he-man movie that actually shut the whole thing Uh down sort of very very kitschy but in a very sincere way i would say Mm -hmm. and uh most recently i worked on um red roses green gold Mm -hmm. which was a jukebox musical of grateful dead music and that was really cool because I got to work with Jeff Kimenti, who is the music director and pianist for Dead & Co. and has been such for the past 20-something years. So I got to work with a real rock star mm-hmm. who was one of the loveliest, most kind, considerate people I have ever gotten the opportunity to work with um, on developing what that show was going to be. And he worked with Andy Peterson, my go-to music director, on mm-hmm. making the music still... Grateful Dead fan friendly, but also up the tempos and yeah. cut some of the musical breaks so that it could live in the world of the thea- theatrical realm. And it was a great show. It was one of the best jukebox musicals I've ever seen. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I mean, one of the fun things about that was that the actors were all multiplayer instrumentalists, mm-hmm. and we it wasn't like you're going to play guitar in this scene or you're going to play guitar only. Like, some of them played upwards of 12 instruments apiece. Yeah. And so then there was the staging was really a treat because it was the ballet of where are the instruments going to live and who Mm -hmm. passes what to whom, like when the patriarch is going to play the banjo, he's going to pass his electric guitar player over to another character who then puts it on the hook and takes off their fiddle and then passes the mandolin over to the drummer who comes out from behind the drum set. You know, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of that sort of coordination and the actors were just so such yeah such incredible talents like every every single time um i'll never forget um maggie hollenbeck who played the matriarch um glendine when she she's never picked up an accordion in her life supposedly and we're like you know 
it would be really cool <laughs> if you could do this. And so we super put, easy and yeah, stuff to learn. But I mean, she's a concert pianist and a music oh, yeah. director, so she's she knows her way around a piano. Right. Um, but we just put it in her hands, and she's like, "I'll figure it out." And and so she did. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> And you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak on your behalf right now because with this, I feel like I can. Um, For sure. I, I meet with a lot of. Well, Rachel also, you know, is attached to direct um, a couple projects of mine, and I love her, and she's a good friend. Um, but I meet with a lot of producers about my work, and every time your name comes up, everyone knows who you are. They all think that your work is wonderful. Um, somebody recently was like, "Oh yeah, she's gonna win a Tony someday." And career-wise, you're kind of at that point where you haven't necessarily had that Tony break yet, but you're sure like... Sure haven't. You're like about to. Like, you're having the meetings and things like that, so... Yes, I, yeah. I know a lot of people, and I'm very fortunate enough to have a lot of friends in this industry who support me and will come when I invite them to mm-hmm. see my work. So they know what I can do, and they want to see me succeed. It's just a matter of can we find the right project and certain projects that they have. And I completely understand this. It's can they take a chance on hiring somebody who has not yet Mm -hmm. directed on Broadway? And that becomes the catch 22 about it is that you had to have already directed on Broadway to be hired to direct on Broadway. Right. Unless you have the career path where you have the off Broadway success that transfers. Right. And I, have yet to see what my path in that particular arena is going to be. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I'm a downtown girl at heart. So yeah. I feel like off-Broadway ch- transfer could could be the way. Yeah. So you just keep on writing those fabulous plays, well, Ashley. And hopefully one of them will catch the eyes of some people that can well, make magic you. happen for us. Well, one of the things that I love about you so much is you have such... I mean, you can kind of direct anything, but you also have a very distinctive voice, I think, as a director um, that everyone seems to be familiar with and loves in that you can handle unconventional pieces and pieces that use um, lots of different kinds of vocabulary and unconventional vocabulary and can lean on the more theatrical side, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Uber theatricality is totally my jam. I really enjoy looking at a story that I want to tell mm-hmm. and sometimes a story that I don't but am <laughs> hired to do so and seeing how can I best tell this story that's going to entertain and engage an audience well but you also understand all the different worlds that you're pulling from like I see a lot of people that maybe think circus is cool so they'll like kind of slap it on a show or whatnot mm-hmm. but you like know the circus world and the circus community and you know musical theater and straight theater and movement and dance pieces and so when you come to bring these vocabularies in, it's not from just a place that that would be cool. It's from somebody who really speaks this vocabulary. Well, thank you for You're acknowledging welcome. that. Uh, that's, that's true. Um, when I was in college, I took classes and um, trained in um, lira, tightrope, stilts, and aerial silks up at the Actors Gymnasium in Evanston, Wait, right I outside. Yeah, you, I went to Actors Gymnasium. I love Actors Gymnasium is like the reason, I never, I haven't actually trained there, but they're kind of the reason that I started training in aerial. Oh, how fun. Yeah. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're super cool. Um, and when I was in Chicago is where I went to school. They Where'd you, where'd you go to school? I went to school at Columbia College. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few at the time, one of two undergraduate degrees you could get in the country that offered a concentration in theatrical direction. Mm-hmm. And um, that's cool. I got to assist for David Cromer before he nice. was famous. Which um, And he was a lot of fun to work with. He yeah. was awesome. Um, and Sheldon Patinkin, one of the founders of the Second City, mm-hmm. who was like a Chicago theatrical celebrity, <laughs> was the chairman of the department. So we were working, like, we were training from people who were actively in the community working mm-hmm. as artists, which was a very unique thing about the program, which was cool. So how did you know that you wanted to be a director? Because one of the things that I've spoken about that really frustrates me is there are so many, like, kids programs for acting as there should be and I think it's wonderful and everybody should be a part of it but I find that a lot of people kind of go off to college and into this career thinking they want to be actors because it's the only job in the theater they've ever like been exposed to mm-hmm. and then it's only kind of years later that they're like oh no I'm I'm a lighting designer I'm a stage manager or I'm a director or whatnot um how did you know from such an early age that directing theater was what you wanted to do oh I knew when I was nine years old yes um I wanted to be a director when I went to go and see Edward Scissorhands Mm. in the movie theater 
that yes, that's how old I was. I am yeah. everybody. I saw it in the Which theater. Which is also very your with, aesthetic. With my mom. Rachel has an amazing personal fashion <laughs> sense, I just have to say. <laughs> like you how would you describe your fashion sense? I would call it Elvira meets Joan Crawford business cash chic. Yeah. But literally, I've never seen her in anything out of that. And it's amazing and I adore it. Oh, I'm nothing if not consistent. <laughs> so um, you saw Edward Scissorhands. I saw Edward Scissorhands. And I wasn't sure exactly what I was responding to, but I, uh, it was the world creation. I yeah. mean, familiar with the film. So you've got the delineated universe of the idealistic suburban Americana where, and this is, you know, pre-CGI back right. when Tim Burton used to be incredibly creative with how, with how he put together films. Yeah. And he literally took that neighborhood and paid all of the tenants to paint their to have their houses painted for the film. Mm-hmm. So they have those this pastel palette of pristine idealism and mm-hmm. then literally on the mountaintop back back there's the the map painting of the enormous haunted mansion castle yeah. thing where Vincent Price created Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. So you have these contrasting Archetypes, and then you have Edward Scissorhands walking around in his like straight up bondage gear, yeah. making all of the hedge topiary animals. Yeah. And I just thought this was such a unique concept, but such a masterpiece of visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the actors didn't even need to utter a word to know who they are based on their costume yeah. and wig design. How did that for you translate to directing as opposed to scenic or costume designing? That's a good question. I mean, I guess because the director is responsible for all of that, for putting, for creating the world in its entirety. Um, designers are the people that really bring it out, mm-hmm. and I cannot live without them. I'm very beholden to yeah. certain designers that I completely believe in. Um, Jamie Roderick, best mm-hmm. lighting designer I've ever worked with, if you're listening. I love you. <laughs> um, but in terms of overseeing the whole thing, coming up with the vision, you know, I used to create... I television shows and commercials mm-hmm. and toys and just things in my brain as a kid. Um, I would go outside in the backyard and run around running off the energy, but in my mind I was building miniature universes. Yeah. So I think coming up with the concept as a whole and then determining how it needs to be executed is something that's always been ingrained in me and always what I wanted to do. And how did that translate for you into theater as opposed to film? Well, film school is not... Like, I looked into film school, and it's not the film school of Cecil B. DeMille. Right. And it's a very d- different thing these days. I mean, people... Or, or, you know, 15 years ago when I was looking into it. It's technical training. Mm-hmm. And that's super important. As we sit here, I'm very impressed with you for knowing how to work this <laughs> podcast stuff that looks very high-tech to me. Um, it's... You had to learn how to shoot with the camera and do, you know, and when I work on film projects now, I've, I've done a couple of independent films and music videos. I love directing music videos. Good to know. Love it. Good to know. But um, I, I finally ha- have trained myself to look through the viewfinder mm-hmm. because my brain just, you know, makes my mind, wa- my eyes wander to the actors and a live performance. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, I, I was in theater when I was a kid and loved it but I yeah. was never satisfied with being an actor in high school I always you know felt like I'm just stuck on the stage and I, <laughs> I'm not I don't know what everything else looks like except for the scenes I'm not in I always want to watch yeah. the scenes I wasn't in and like think about what would I do differently and I, I feel like theater there is something it, it, there's an inevitable quality about it because it's not you, you can never capture that moment. Even if you do capture it on mm-hmm. film, it's you can't capture the energy of what the audience is experiencing when they experience it live. Yeah. And then you can perfect it all you want, but it's still, there. there's that excitement of something could go wrong and then you have yeah. to troubleshoot to fix it. Yeah. There is the the live human element and shows, shows change a little bit as they evolve as the actors settle in and ease into it and as long as their blocking does not change you know, <laughs> then you know then that can be a great thing yeah. and when act- actors are replaced replacement classes come in you know things need to be rebuilt redesigned like yeah. there's just something so exciting about that mm-hmm. did you see theater pieces that really spoke to you in that way or because I'm 
don't know. I, it made me think of when I was really young, I, before I realized that musical theater was a career and we're talking like I'm five years old at this point before yes, I realized, I know. Yeah. Um, I thought that at some point I was going to have to choose if I wanted to be a singer, actor or dancer. And for a little bit, I thought that I couldn't really choose to be a dramatic actor because all the plays that I saw, except for Shakespeare, were sitting around and people being talking heads and were completely Oof. cut off from physicality. And it's what in- inspired me to want to bring more physicality to pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking about what I know of you and your direction and aesthetic, and there's not a whole lot of pieces that I can think of, especially not necessarily being in New York to see the underground scene that I can think would speak to that. Well, I mean, I had not seen much live theater mm-hmm. as a kid. I, I did... Um, Where'd you grow up? I, I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. So there, there's not a lot of anything there. I mean, there's, you know, I, it, I know everybody knows where that is now. We all know that Albuquerque is not in Arizona because <laughs> of Breaking Bad, and um, you know, which is an excellent, excellent show. And I have to say, um, Jesse Pinkman's character and that, that Aaron Paul um, portrays him in the earlier seasons before mm-hmm. things spiral out of control and the character shifts. Yeah. Because it's a well-written drama, so all of the characters have yes. profound change. But when he is who he is at the beginning, mm-hmm. that is at least three boys I went to high Ooh. school with. I used to call it Albert QQ because of Titanic. Like, oh, it's, a jo- it's a joke. I knew that wasn't how you pronounced it. It's but. where Bugs Bunny takes the wrong turn. <sighs> but, I mean, it's there's there wasn't a lot of this sort of culture. And I think a lot of people from places similar to that have that experience you know and there's no major regional touring house there there mm-hmm. so that and I think that is why I found my initial inspiration from films and yeah. and from music videos I mean to be honest like that's I think one of the things that inspires me the most in terms of being visually oriented mm-hmm. is when you look at the music videos of the 80s and the early 90s the stuff that I yeah. was watching and developing my young mind I mean MTV back then was an Mm -hmm. oasis of just awesome cultural knowledge fashion fusion of like dancing dancing girls with all the heavy metal music because you before that you didn't really think of having Mm -hmm. having any kind of choreographed dance you know you think of that with the like 50s doo-wop you don't think of it with like arena rock and then then came the 80s yeah um and the storytelling Mm -hmm. within there like um I mean, Michael Jackson was kind of Michael Jackson was great. I know he's been canceled, but back then he had some great music music videos. He sure did. Or even just aesthetics. I mean, like David Bowie. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Life on Mars video doesn't have a lot going on. It's just David in that beautiful washed out light. So his hair and his suit and his eyeshadow is so punctuated. Um, Obviously, the like uh gene genie is a great great one heroes where he's just standing on a platform like this camera pans in and pans out but the the lighting effects on his face are super extraordinary um the nelson twins guilty pleasure Mm -hmm. loved them and the after the rain video if you look at that now it's hilarious but it's you know this kid in this abusive trailer park you know he puts on his headphones and listens to Gunner and Matthew, the blonde mm-hmm. twins, singing this song, and it transports him to like a native sweat lodge. Like, I mean, it's like <laughs> this crazy storytelling, mm-hmm. but it's like they, what they used to do is they would cross cut the bands rocking out with a side plot that had actors doing like silent film storytelling, mm-hmm. and they would cut them back and forth. Um, like the 18 in Life Skid Row video, or mm-hmm. um, Dan, Damn Yankees High Enough is one of my favorite music videos of all time, and that, you know. I know Ted Nugent's also been canceled, but, you know, Damn Yankees as an entity, yeah. like, you know, when they're in these, like, hot pink leopard print spandex capes <laughs> playing outside of, like, this barn, and it's cross-cut with these teenage runaways committing crimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really... There was, there was such poetry in that, and then yeah. in the ability to tell a story in, like, three minutes' time. Yeah. And I, that translates to production numbers mm-hmm. in musicals. It certainly does. Um, well, and I'm guessing that taking a lot of inspiration from that and not necessarily having theater pieces is probably what helped lead you to having such a unique voice and not trying to copy anybody. Oh, yeah. I hadn't seen... Oh, my gosh. Let's see. What did... I saw Rent in mm-hmm. high school because that toured 
Um, I think it had to have been like the non-ec tour because we didn't have a big yeah, regional. Yeah. So they had Pope Joy Hall, which is where I was in the Nutcracker as a child. Wait, and, you danced in the Nutcracker? Oh, for like, you know, there's like a sugar plum fairy thing. I was like doing some tiptoe back and forth and, you know, it's like not a big, I was holding like a wreath. It's fine. It's, it was cute. I want the real, pictures. the real dancer. I'm sure my mom's got them. I'll that's check, amazing. I'll check her out. I'll check it out. Yeah. But um, that's where anything comes in, you know, yeah. and so I saw Rent, and then I saw a performance of The Taming of the Shrew from another touring company. I think those are the only two wow. instances I can remember seeing anything in a theater as, mm-hmm. as a kid. Um, but I still wanted to go yeah. to school to make theater. Um, and I directed my first show. We moved from Albuquerque to Cleveland um, when I was in the middle of high school. Mm-hmm. And then I saw more more stuff because Cleveland has a couple of regional theaters and the theater students would be able to take field trips. So Mm. I got to see more stuff, but you know, regional theater is very tame. And so I was thinking like, this is so cutting edge voices. Yes. Theater being made. (laughs) There's theater being made here. How cool is that? And then, you know, you go see death of a salesman and you're like, okay, I understand why this is important. Yeah. (laughs) However, not, not what's inspiring me to be a creative artist. So what was your college experience like? So I went, I graduated early um, and I was focused mostly on that. So I didn't apply out. I just, I applied to Kent state because it was close to Mm -hmm. Cleveland and had a theater department. And then once I was there freshman year, I put out all my feelers to figure out. And that's when I was, am I going to go deciding whether or not I was going to apply to a film school Mm -hmm. or to a theater program. And at Kent, you know, they didn't have a directing concentration. You could do acting or scenic. Mm. But they did have these great little black box spaces, mm-hmm. and you could just book them and put on. They called them lab shows. Yeah. And I was the only freshman ever to book lab shows. Yes, To girl. have the balls to even ask to do so. And, you know, I made a lot of enemies with the older people in the department. Yep. I feel like you're <laughs> describing a lot of a lot of my, my personal experience but, you know, um, And this was something that I completely forgot about, but my sister-in-law, she is a dear friend, and she and I actually met when I was at Kent. So that's mm-hmm. how I, I met her, my now husband. I, I didn't know that. That's oh, yes. Awesome. We, we've been friends for years, and then I cougared after her younger brother, but it's okay. We've been married 11 years. So. I don't know. I like to picture that you two <laughs> Or met, been together 10 years, but married. I like to picture you two, like, met at Muse or something. Like, oh, my in gosh. Mass, like, gazing across each other at, like, the vampire yes. masquerade. Yes. My husband has also a vampiric aesthetic. Um <laughs> No, no, we met, we met through, um, through my good friend. But anyway, she has this story that I completely forgot about that, mm-hmm. you know, freshman me, I book out all of this time in the rehearsal studios, like six months in advance. Mm-hmm. And then there are seniors trying to get that space right. to use it. It's called being organized. And they were like, when they found out it was me that had it, they went to, um, the higher ups to try to get right. their space back for their projects. And so I got called in and, um, and Jelaine, my sister-in-law, she was on the board. I don't remember what they were called. It's some kind of round table, a student-run mm-hmm. organization. And so she remembers me going up there and saying, well, they didn't have the foresight to book yep. it in advance, mm-hmm. so they don't deserve the space. I knew I was going to be doing a show. Yeah. And I don't remember that playing out poorly. I think I, I still had the space to do my show. Yeah. So, but. But even then, you know, I, I was experimenting with certain things. Like I did Zoo Story because everybody mm-hmm. directs Zoo Story in college. Yeah. Um, but then I, I did a couple of original pieces that my friend Ben Spiro wrote. Um, he's now like a physics professor. Nice. Yes. But he used to be really interested in playwriting and wrote some really bizarre kind of absurdist, mm-hmm. Ionesco-inspired kind of kind of cool cool stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I did a show called Sir Shiver about a burglar that breaks into a house full of mannequins. Mm. And this woman who lives there is, has tea parties with her mannequins. But then yes. some, some kind of magic happens and they all come alive to entrap him and turn him into a mannequin. You know, nice. it's like that kind of like weird stuff. But yeah. it was like, you know, working on new play development yeah. was one of the first things I did when I started to direct. Mm-hmm. And then did you transfer to a different school to study directing? Yeah, I transferred to Columbia College. Mm-hmm. When, at the time, the two programs that had undergraduate tracks for directing were Columbia and um, Carnegie Mellon. Mm-hmm. And that broke down to two, a two-prong thing. One of them was the financial Car- yeah, Carnegie yeah. Mellon. She costs herself a lot of money. Yep. But also, I was thinking bigger picture in terms of my social life. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be very frank about it, 
I was like Pittsburgh versus Chicago. Yeah. And, you know, a girl from New Mexico, Chicago seems like a huge city. Mm-hmm. And I love Chicago. I loved my time there. It was a lovely, lovely place. Yeah. But I, I go back there now after living in New York for 14 years, and it feels, yeah, yeah. It feels super small, mm-hmm. you know? What did you think of the directing program there? It was... At the time, I found it to be very frustrating. It was not a conservatory. It was not hand-holding or nurturing in any way. It was cutthroat, and often the professors were... I mean, this is not all of them. Some of them were amazing and lovely, but like the general tone is if you push too hard, there's the who-does-she-think-she-is principle right. of approaching everything. Yeah. Um, But it taught me, I don't know if it intended to, but it taught me how to have thick skin. And I don't know that I would have survived and prevailed those first couple of years in New York had I not gone to this program. Yeah. Because you select a play, then you direct it, and you don't have much in the way of support Mm -hmm. during that process. And then after you sit in the um, the directing class was we were all on couches in a circle in Sheldon Patinkin's office mm-hmm. and then we would go around in the circle and then you would have to sit there and not say a word right. while people critiqued your work yeah and that was always and very critiqued I think you mean tear to shreds yeah. absolutely tear it to shreds <laughs> yeah and you know there was also working with budgetary restrictions because I understood the budget I was in the way that I, that I still do today, yeah, which yeah. was, so the first project, I guess you're supposed to use cubes and flats, but <laughs> the, the rule was that, so you direct your one act with your cubes and your flats and give you a hundred dollar budget and oh, you're gosh. not allowed to go over it. And, right. and I didn't, I worked with, um, I found, I was friends with the person who was in the department was the premier scenic designer mm-hmm. and he used leftover materials that they were going to throw away mm-hmm. from the main stage show and built me this extraordinary set. Mm-hmm. And the department went was furious. Right. They wouldn't let the two of us work together again. And they like the, but my, and my point they're like you think you can get whatever you want. They you know they they said some disparaging things to me like yeah. I had broken the rules, but I was just I was so no you shocked followed by that. the rules but you found ways yeah. to work creatively within them. I thought that they were, were going to commend me for what I was able to do with so little. Yeah. And they did not. So there yeah. was frustrating elements for sure, but yeah. it also set me up for, okay, like you, know, you have to be able to take it when people are going to arbitrarily disagree with you right. and stand up for yourself. Did you actually learn any useful skills like from the classes? Like what, how do, how did, how did they like try to teach you to direct? Well, I mean that. I mean, they taught you about like you took uh, directing one mm-hmm. was scene work, and we worked with um, a professor who would show us how show us how staging sort of worked, mm-hmm. and then that was more hands on in terms of a training program. But then yeah. once you got into directing two and forward and through independent project, it was you direct something and then we discuss it. Right. Um, and they had us read, you know, Anne Bogart's book. They yeah. had us do. There were, there were certain reading assignments, oh, and, um, and the, the Clerman. And if anybody knows David's work, or especially his work at that time in Chicago, he did a lot of really artsy, introspective, dark black box theater, mm-hmm. and he's brilliant. And I learned a lot from him watching how he works with actors, because yeah. he was an actor himself and still is. And the that was something for me, because I sort of went into directing so early without mm-hmm. working as an actor for many years, you know, high school drama club. It's not right. count as working as an actor. And for, for me, it was always like design first. Mm-hmm. What's it going to look like? You actors are here to execute my vision was, yeah. you know, and I'm like 19 years old, you know? <laughs> so like, of course that you're, I was young enough to, to learn better. Right. And, but working with David, I mean, so it wasn't, my style is not like his. Like, I didn't pick up any any of creative sensibilities from him. But his way that he could be nurturing and authoritative at the same time mm-hmm. to get an actor to feel comfortable with what they're doing, but to execute his vision yeah. was something that it, it blew my mind. I mean, it, it changed the way I work with actors from that mm-hmm. point forward. Yeah, there's definitely... The directing programs I've seen are... 
it's similar to film directing a little bit, except that you're not dealing with the equipment, but it's like, here's how to make a stage picture and Mm -hmm. here's how to, and there's no discussion of how you talk to actors or get a performance out of actors or anything. And to me, that's what really sets good directors apart. I'm also a friendly person. Yeah. You know, that I think is, is helpful. I know that some directors are revered and feared Mm -hmm. and you know, that's great. I admire that. That will never be me. (laughs) I, need to have a good working relationship with my actors because I do view Mm -hmm. them as collaborators to a certain extent. It's not a free for all. Some directors are like, I was having this conversation with my good friend Rhonda Malkin yesterday. Oh, Rhonda. Yeah. You know, Rhonda. Rhonda and I performed, we did a Rockette performance with Jason Alexander. Yes. Yes. Rhonda was a Rockette and a Laker girl. Yeah. All of the glamorous dancer jobs for somebody who's got the talent that she, I mean, she's ridiculous, but um, we were talking and, how some directors are like, I think the term I used was just rose petals floating in the wind. Yeah. You know, yep. and mm-hmm. that will never be at me either. I, I feel a deep connection to the people that I'm working with, and I'm very invested in creating a family environment with everybody. Yeah. And also taking a step back to see what are the needs of the collective, mm-hmm. the whole, to make sure that the aesthetic is what it needs to be and the staging is what I want but and how how to get that in the room mm-hmm. speaking to them all as a group and then who needs a little different kinds of tactical mm-hmm. TLC like this actor clearly needs more than that actor right so I'm going to take them aside and have an extra hour of rehearsal scheduled tomorrow to work this particular scene alone yeah and that sort of that sort of thing but the pedals in the wind you know you don't get anything done that way no. where it's just a free-for-all of hair everybody has an opinion and we're directing by democracy and that I don't that practice I don't agree with mm-hmm. and not even just as a practice it's when you see a show that was developed that way mm-hmm. it's usually a hot mess in terms of my personal opinion some yeah. people may love that I do not respond to it I want to see the effort yeah I want to see the thought process you know like um for example have you have you seen Town yet yeah yeah I could see Every, and I mean, I know this isn't what normal audience sees because right. they are seeing the beautiful show that right. was an incredible, incredible piece of work. Yeah. I could see the conversations that the creative team had. Yeah. I could see that. And I was looking every single moment. I'm just mm-hmm. like how Rachel Chavkin shepherded that into yeah. the aesthetic bliss that mm-hmm. that show ended up being. I could see the conversations and the work and the thought process and the diagrams and the scenic sketches yeah. and just everything and that's what I want to see. I want to see yeah. effort. Well, and preparation. Like, yeah. for me, every major problem I've ever had with a director or heard about, about a director really either either comes down to respect, which is a whole other issue, or preparation. And that doesn't mean you don't leave room for experimentation in the rehearsal room, but the number of directors that I've seen that walk in, some of whom haven't read the script. Um, what? Who, no, I'm not. I who have not. you been working with, girl? No, well, I... I <laughs> I, a, a literary agent once told me that they had a client who had a, a play where within the play, a classic piece was being performed in some capacity. And the director would never stage any of those scenes and just kept said, oh, I haven't read that play yet. Um, uh, one of the reasons that I don't really work with directors who haven't directed a reading for me first, because, you know, l- lower stakes if something's going to get screwed up. Um, I don't know a writer that doesn't do that. Oh, there was a director that I worked with once who we finished staging a scene and had more time. And obviously time with the actors is precious. And we're like, great, like, can we go on and like get more stuff done? And they're like, no, I haven't read beyond this scene yet. Um, or, or, I mean, even if it's not that blatant, um, just clearly haven't spent time with the material. I've had, I've seen directors do things that directly negate things that are in the text, like like important story things that are in the text, um, or clearly come in there like, um, actors sort of just do something and then I'll figure, like, like they haven't done the preparation. And for me, the best directors are like captains of a ship mm-hmm. or like mom and dad in the best way, where they're there to make everybody else look good, but there's a structure and they know what they're doing and you know that you can rely on them and that they have, it's because you have to trust them. Like, mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons that actors can sometimes get needy and insecure is because at the end of the day they're the ones on the stage with everyone staring at them and yeah, so they want to look they yeah. want to look like they know what they're doing they're yeah like, you have to be able to trust somebody that if they say no you look good doing that or that's the right choice that, that you can trust them I mean I've had the experience of getting reviewed on work 
that I was not giving my performance. I was giving a performance that someone was telling me to give and was making me give and I didn't agree with. And it was, it was the most emotionally destructive thing that the feedback on it, it's like, well, none, none, that, that's all because I was forced to put trust in somebody that wasn't trustworthy. Sure. But, and actors are very perceptive. They know right away when they can't trust you. Yeah. And sometimes it takes a lot of time to earn the actor's trust. Um, I'm easing out of that, which is great. I'm so grateful for it. Mm-hmm. But when I first started working commercially, they didn't know who I am. Right. And they look at my face and... <laughs> I look great for my age, everybody. I know you can't see me. Girl, but, you're um, young. What I, are you talking about? I'm young, but I look younger, and that's oh, a yeah. hindrance in, I, a, in I, a leadership position. I'm always position. the youngest person in the room. In the leadership yeah. position, it is a hindrance because then they're constantly like, did she do her homework? And so in that initial time, I would have to prove myself to mm-hmm. the people that I was supposed to be leading, mm-hmm. which was very frustrating. But... I am grateful that I am past that. But, you know, I stage everything in advance. Yeah. I change it. I feel inspired. I'm not rigid, but I make maps of every single scene in advance so that I know where... Because you have a game plan. Yeah. (laughs) And a game plan is great. Like, I make little sports kind of diagrams. Yeah. Like like you see in the movies when the coach is putting the X's and the arrows on the blackboard. Yeah. I don't know if that happens in real life, but it happens in sports movies. (laughs) Go sports. Yes. (laughs) But um, that's totally what I do or I storyboard the scene out yeah like Cecil B. DeMille used to do so that I know exactly what it's going to look like and what the end goal is going Mm -hmm. to be so what was your transition after graduating into working in in the real world I moved to New York without knowing anybody Mm -hmm. and I was cocktail waitressing downtown Mm -hmm. and this theater company kept coming in after their show and this was on St. Mark's. They were performing it under St. Mark's. And oh, sorry, that's where my play Snow started. I have a yeah, very, very dear place so in my heart for much under St. Mark's. started down there, you know? Yeah. And I met some of the actors and became friends, and I had them introduce me to the artistic director. And my first gig was, like, a one-act, unpaid, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, she didn't know me, and she just put her trust in me and gave me an opportunity. And that's sort of how it all got started was... Yeah. Um, applying for things on Playbill or randomly meeting people and just being unafraid Mm -hmm. to say, I'm a director, this is what I want to do, and And working on material. Once you're hired, like that's the thing, you got to be good once you get the gig, right? Right, that's that is true. (laughs) Not to say there's not a learning curve, but exactly, yeah. But in a, so I started downtown, and then um, I started building my own work, mm-hmm. which was great. Um, I wasn't working with writers at that time. I was working. Um, we would do sort of silent film style, dance infused mm-hmm. movement theater. I felt very inspired as I went to Europe. I did the uh, direct international director symposium through La Mama, mm-hmm. which is in Spoleto, Umbria. Yeah, yeah. And I saw a lot of European theater and. Their movement theater is a thing there, which it is not exactly right. a thing here. But that inspired me to start this company and to tell stories this way for a couple of years. I did that, and I sort of picked the actors I connected to the most with all of these other projects that I had had behind me. Yeah. And so we accidentally started a theater company, which mm-hmm. was never my goal. I always wanted to be freelance, but um, that was a really magical time, kind mm-hmm. of having the company and generating work, and then developing the next one was like okay so we're gonna create roles for these people and what's gonna best make them shine in these particular roles right so that was a lot of fun and from there I don't even know how did my first musical was written by my cousin my distant cousin but my dear friend Michael Mm -hmm. Cooper who also he was one of the guest lyricists on it should have been you he mm-hmm. wrote the lyrics to the opening number um he has a beautiful show called sunfish that he and hey young kim wrote together based on a korean folktale that has had a lot of success and went over they i think they performed it in seoul like it mm-hmm. was really really incredible work nice. and he had a short piece that was going to be in a festival called lizard man mm-hmm. and it was like rock and roll hilarious teenager gets picked on and then turns into like a superhero rock star kind of thing 
And he was just like, you know, this would be fun. You should do this. And I had been told for years that I should do musicals because Mm -hmm. my style was so visual and expressive and all my transitions had music and like underscoring, like, you know, from that cinematic point of view. And so musicals kind of made sense, but I didn't take the initiative in school because I had thought, you know, musical theater, it's going to be like anything goes. You have Mm -hmm. to have your chorus of chappers. And I had, you know, with the exception of Rent, I had no knowledge of what musicals Mm -hmm. could be. Yeah. Um, and also when I was in college, I worked, um, as an usher and stage door at Broadway in Chicago mm-hmm. and worked the Lion King and that, Wait, which theater I, where was the Lion King? I want to say the Cadillac palace. They all have cor- yeah, yeah. the palace. They, they all have corporate names now. Yeah. So I, I, but I'm thinking it was the Cadillac palace at the time. Yeah. Um, and just seeing that magic of like, oh, what you can create even within, mm-hmm. you know, this very, you know, it's a feeling, I was so punk rock, you know, yeah. I didn't want to be corporate, but you know, now I do, yeah. but I, but without losing sight of my vision and yeah. who I am, I just think that there, as the musical theater climate continues to evolve, mm-hmm. there is so much room for, for lack of a better descriptor, cool yeah. musicals. Well, and I think it's really important because um, our, especially at NYU, I you, you were sort of divided into camps of the people who like wanted to do real art mm-hmm. and then the people who like wanted to be on Broadway and people who wanted to work in Right, you had uh, EST versus, right, the experimental um, exper- theater. ETW. ETW. Yeah. And, but even amongst the not ETW studios, um, there was this stigma and my big thing that I kept bringing up is I'm like, look, it doesn't have to be one or the other because no, I don't think anybody like wants to quote unquote, like be a sellout and do pointless work just because you're earning a lot of money. No. Well, no, there are people that do want to do that. They're not you or I, but there are people that want to do that. Um, But likewise, if you're just literally doing art for your own sake and because it's edgy, you're going to be preaching to the choir at a, at a space down, 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 downtown where the only people that are seeing it are the people that are sort of already on board. Exactly. And I really love the idea of let's, at least I think a lot of people got into theater to move and affect people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's a great way to potentially meet everyone in the middle of like, here's some great vocabularies and great stories let us, without sacrificing the integrity of the piece, find a way to make it accessible to people so that we can all partake in the wonderful things. Right. That's why we do this to begin with, is that we want to move audiences. We want to make them think, and we want to make them feel their feelings. Right. And we want to entertain them. We don't... And... In order to do that, we need to be able to figure out how to express ourselves in the best possible way. Yeah. And I think that just because you are reaching a wider audience, it doesn't mean you can't say what you want to say. I mean, it always depends on what the piece is and what the producers at the end of the day want that piece to be, especially if it's message theater. Yeah. But, um, yeah. What taught you the most about directing? Directing. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really what, just doing it. Yeah. Doing it, being in rooms with actors, working with different kinds of actors because they're all so incredibly mm-hmm. different. They're all individual people, just yeah. like creative team. They're individual people and not putting them in a box of us and them, you know, and you guys are your own thing and I'm my own thing and keeping that conversation open constantly. You learn so much. Yeah. You learn so much from their reactions to certain things, you know, when I... I, I tend to use a lot of pop culture references mm-hmm. when I'm trying to explain my point. And depending on the show, I'll put together clips of fun dramaturgy packages like nice. we did for the anthem to yeah. help the cast understand this kind of like 80s sincere camp feel, feel to it. Mm-hmm. I showed them like the apple and can't stop the music yeah. and all these great disco-y musical mm-hmm. sensations um, that they were not otherwise exposed to. So I try to to do that as well, to share what I'm referring to in my brain, because mm-hmm. sometimes I'll be speaking like the biggest pop culture nerd <laughs> in the universe, and people will have no idea. Mm-hmm. And always adjusting your audience. Like I, I just directed a kid's show. Mm-hmm. as you know, because you wrote it. I did write it. Um, Ashley and I, for for our viewers, <laughs> we are very cutting-edge hip New Yorkers. However, once a year, we 
collaborate on a um, kids show. Mm-hmm. And this year was The Jungle Book. It was adorable. 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 The cutest. Yeah. But um, when I'm working with young people like that it's a whole different vocabulary um one of the characters ashley wrote was a peacock and i was trying to get peacock to be super fabulous and i'm like i want you to just strut on stage like you are beyonce and she kind of stared at me blinking her eyes and i was just like okay uh ariana grande and then she's like yes Got it. I'm oh, like, no. So I was like... I think all our listeners just, yeah. like, died. I know. I was just like, isn't, like, the Beyonce, like, officially the new Madonna? Isn't she timeless and everybody yeah. from every sphere of the earth knows who yeah. she is? Anyway, I guess not. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, like, knowing that, like, so dealing with the age range, I was like, okay, so now I need to, like, search my brain for pop culture references that they might actually understand. Yeah. So it's always, always a, a crapshoot. What do you want, like, for... for Actors, designers, writers, people out there that are like, I want to work with Rachel Klein someday. Like, what do you want in the people you collaborate with? What do you look for? What advice would you have for someone coming into either audition for you or interview with you? Well, there are two, I guess, separate answers for actors and for team. Um, for actors, I want you to just be you and not be nervous. I mean, one of the things I tend to do at callbacks is I will misdirect them on purpose. Yeah. I will give them an intention and ask them to redo the scene some way completely arbitrary that has nothing to do with how I would actually execute the vision mm-hmm. to see if they can and are willing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, a, that's, that's smart. And it's not to trip an actor up. I'm not trying to psychologically play any kind of games. I'm just trying to see how loose are you how much of a yes and person are you Mm -hmm. and if you're a no I didn't prepare for that or no I disagree with that thank you yeah thank you we've seen enough thank you yeah you know and it's so I'm looking for people who are willing to play and explore and just for my listeners I'd just like to throw out Rachel is not the kind of director to ask you to do something emotionally or physically dangerous oh oh, that's not what I meant no no no, I know I'm just I I would just like to reiterate if a director tells you to do something emotionally or physically dangerous that is the moment to say I respectfully disagree with this decision (laughs) I mean like playing an angry scene jubilantly and skipping around that's the kind of things those are the curveballs i throw at actors right not can you take your shirt off and dance for me (laughs) whatever (laughs) you know (laughs) that's how non-violating i am is i can't even think of something truly violent but off the top of my head um with designers i mean it's honestly just like show me your work yeah i want to see the best pictures and videos of what the piece is and then um in an interview process i want to know how well you collaborate Mm -hmm. i I don't i I get a lot of people usually recent mfa grads Mm -hmm. that their vision is their vision and they do not want to waver their vision and that is unacceptable Mm -hmm. like in the real world guys it's not how how it works Mm -hmm. um it needs to be a conversation and all departments need to be present i don't like to isolate scenic from lights from costumes like Mm -hmm. i like to have production meetings as early on as possible with everyone present even if they're unofficial even if you know we can't get the production manager and the gm there even if it's just the artists sitting down having a coffee or a cocktail and hashing through some general concepts and color schemes and pulling together materials to then have the official i like to get those conversations started Mm -hmm. as early as possible and i make sure that they are friendly good conversations but we all need to hear each other and it can't there can't be anybody on the team that says my way or the highway because the highway it is and right. you'll be on it going away from well, our process because if that's what you want to do you should be like a visual artist in a gallery where your exactly vision is your vision. exactly yeah you know my my husband is a fiction writer mm-hmm. and you know he sometimes writes plays and it's such a relief because he loves the collaboration i mean yeah. and he's so gifted at what he does but seeing the difference in the kind of work you do all by yourself mm-hmm. versus the kind of work you do when you're collaborating with an entire team right. of people putting together a vision to put forward they're they're two very different things yeah and what would your advice be to people who want to be directors in terms of training experience like what you think they it's should tricky because i used to always ask other directors that and yeah. i feel like everybody's path is truly different mm-hmm. you know there are 
I have several director friends and one of my besties who's brilliant, Joey Murray, mm-hmm. um, he, he's my duresty. <laughs> he works a lot more than I do in regional and he does a lot of, um, new twists and interesting concepts on well-known material. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's his path, is that he is going to be the regional guy that swoops in with some killer revival that's going to go to Broadway. Right. Um, and I, I, as I mentioned before, I feel my path is going to be the awesome new show yeah. that comes in from off-Broadway. Um, yeah. And I could be wrong, Joey. Your path could be a million different things. You're so talented. <laughs> but, um, you know, every there are people that assist. Um, mm-hmm. And I have several friends that assist and associate. So they have their Broadway resumes, but they've not been yeah. the vision behind the show. I've seen and that that's oh, kind of tricky because some people jump it off. Too. And then some people, it's like being a swing. It's like you get known as the great assistant. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what you always end up doing. And a lot of directors, when they find you indispensable, want you to continue working with them because then they have to replace you. Right. So it becomes a whole other thing. And, you know, I, I feel that way. I have a great assistant that I have been working with consistently for years. And she and I have a shorthand. And she knows me. She knows my vision. I can trust her to, if I want to split up a room and have mm-hmm. her go run a scene that I've set, but like to go fine tune it for me, I can put that faith in her. And, you know, and I, I keep telling myself, like I, I tell her mother, cause her mom mm-hmm. comes to all our openings. And she's yeah. so cute. Um, always just like, you know, like this is going to end one day. I can't, I'm going to have to start shepherding somebody new because I, I cannot do that. I believe, mm-hmm. I believe in Lindsay too much to, have her be a career assistant she needs to direct um not everybody's like that not ever ever. some people will keep their associate for 20 years and that's a really great chunk of change that's a great career path and you're well respected in the industry and some people love that some people prefer assisting to directing on their own um yeah. But I think it's just, it's so different for everybody. So right. it's just like, if you're young and just getting started and you don't have a resume at all yet, like just, then yeah, do do what we all did. Like go downtown, mm-hmm. find theater companies, get your work done. If you don't have the money to self-produce, you know, what I used to do is I would just take on extra bartending shifts yeah. and put that money in a separate bank account and then rent a theater yeah. and put on the show. I mean, it's not, sure, is it going to be what you want it to be? monetarily no is it gonna look the way you want no but you gotta get creative you gotta get scrappy and just keep doing work because that's how you get better and then when people see your work that's how they know who you are and then want to invite you to work with them on projects what's your biggest piece of advice once somebody has gotten the job and they're in the rehearsal room if it's your first big one do not lose your cool do not let them smell your fear (laughs) and by them I mean everyone yeah I mean it's you've got to just be be confident in what your vision is be aware that you are in this position for a reason and don't lose sight of that mm-hmm. and I'm trying to think of any what 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 would be your what's your dream like if you could wave a magic wand and be doing the pinnacle of what you imagine have always wanted to do what would you be doing? I would have, I mean, it's okay. The dream, cause it's like, I'm trying to think of all the projects I have going on and like that are in development right now. That Including have, Lyra, a dark fairy yes, tale. Lyra's one of them. <laughs> which is, which is my show that Rachel is directing and how we met. Although I discovered I reviewed your show, dead dream machine like years ago before we'd ever met from what publication Um, theater online. Oh, I don't remember what that review said. Yeah. There was one that it was not. It was not like horrible right. or anything like that. Well, no, because that that show was very difficult because that yeah. was like you know omnibus horror. Yeah. So like a bunch of short vignettes. So it was. Yeah. You know. Oh, I didn't know that you saw that. Yeah. What what, what performer? What guest performer was there? I don't. I don't know. Okay. I have the review though. I can show you. Show me. Oh, that's um, so funny. But no, we Evan, my collaborator, and I were working on um, Lyra. And Alana Gabrielle, who was I love playing Nymphette One, I said, her. you need to meet with Rachel Klein because she's the best director I've ever worked with. Oh, how think, is Alana doing? I love her. I haven't talked to her in a while. Oh, I think she's, she's fabulous. Um, yeah, she's wonderful. And she was like, and Rachel really knows circus. And the thing with Lyra is we needed somebody who was a really good commercial musical theater director who also legitimately knew the circus world. Um, and then we met and we had a really great meeting. 
and then we were just sort of in each other's orbits. And then I saw other things that you did and got to know you more and got to trust you more, like you were mm-hmm. talking about. Um, and then you, you came on board that project and then you directed the reading of snow at Playwrights Horizons mm-hmm. and we really have enjoyed working together. Yeah. And it's a good relationship. You're a smart cookie. Well, so are you. Oh, thank yeah. you. Um, uh, but yeah, no, yeah. Lyra's amongst that. Like, Lyra, um, this project written by Joe Maloney, Helen, based on Euripides' play, Helen, mm-hmm. but done as a contemporary musical, uh, More Than All the World, written by Eric Ransom, which was a musical adaptation, like a rock musical adaptation of Edward II, mm-hmm. Marlowe's play. Th- I, these pieces, they, I, I get attached to a lot of pieces that require big budgets. I mean, right. they're big vision, big casts, yeah. magical elements, you know, that, and for one of them, hopefully all of them, to really find a home and an audience in a commercial venue yeah. that runs for a long, long time and, be, you know, and yeah. is just able to reach so many people. I mean, that is the dream. Yeah. It's, I mean, the, so the dream is not just me booking a big old commercial Broadway show. Right. I mean, that sounds awesome, sure. But yeah. that's, and the dream is one of the projects that I'm shepherding right now. One of the things that I'm helping to develop with trusted collaborators that mm-hmm. really deserves a voice and an audience yeah. move forward into the next level yeah. so that it can truly be seen mm-hmm. and, and do the magic that it's intended to do. How do you think a director, I, I don't mean necessarily career-wise, I mean in terms of their actual process, makes the transition between doing something kind of downtown that you're doing with your friends and smaller to like suddenly getting the first big commercial production where you're dealing with hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars behind it and like a large cast and team because there's no real training for that no there's not you know it's funny so I went from the highest budget I had ever worked with was $11,000 I got Mm -hmm. a dance commission from Dixon Place in 2012 yeah and that was the biggest budget I had worked with. I'm going to repeat that number. It was $11,000. Yeah. In 2013, I booked Around the World in 80 Days, and that was $1.3 million. Wow. So... And you were working with a general manager and stuff. Yeah, that, right? I had a general manager, EP, producer, but, you know, it's... So, yeah, I wasn't, like, budgeting myself, but I was... Well, but you were in the position to be like, I think we need to spend more on the sets than the costumes or something like that. Exactly, and they spent a lot of money on both. But, (laughs) I mean, the producer was very eccentric and was independently wealthy and really wanted the show to look like a million bucks. And so he spent a million bucks. And and it did, and it looked great. But the that is stressful first time around. Mm -hmm. It's somebody is trusting me with this much... This is a huge responsibility. I mean, yeah. The New York Times is coming. Right. This is in Midtown. This is a big deal. Yeah. Not that the work I was generating downtown wasn't, but there's it, more room for flexibility. And, and um, career-wise stakes. And downtown, the process was definitely a lot more like, okay, we only have two hours to rehearse in the space. Right. Let's get it done now. Great. Let's like sloppily throw it together, and then we're going to work on fine-tuning it later. Let's... You know, and I, I do that on any process, the the exoskeleton of yeah. staging to get it on its feet because it's like incredibly stressful if you just work linear and you spend right. so much time on all the scenes and then you get to tech and your final scenes, final couple of scenes are not quite as rehearsed as you want them to be and yeah. you've run out of time. So to just get it all done and then go through and build mm-hmm. the muscular structure after you've built the skeleton, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, so I, I would do that both downtown and, and uptown, but uptown I had to explain myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never had to explain myself at downtown. It's just yeah. like whoever's in charge, whatever their process is, that's what we're going to roll mm-hmm. along with. And in midtown, you know, when the questions are like, why are we working this way? It's like, because that's my process. Yeah. Let me explain to you why it works. And it had to actually work for them to all be like, Oh, yeah, this totally worked. Great. And you can explain it. Like, that's the thing about you is you can explain everything. It's not just like, this is my process. Oh, right. Well, I would love to be that that yeah. person. Someday, this someday is my process. Microphone drop, hair toss, good day. Yeah. But yes, that is not, you know, it's, you got to be able to explain yeah. yourself. And mm-hmm. what advice would you have for, I mean, we're both, I think we both had some more experiences in that we're both women in this industry and we've both. We sure are. And we're both young and certainly started very young in this industry um I know I've had very interesting experiences with that mm-hmm. um, I, I, that's a whole other separate conversation but in general I guess what would your advice be both to other women 
and to men who are going to have to be dealing with us in professional situations. It's interesting because, you know, a theater as a creative force theoretically is one of the most inclusive, yada, blah, blah, blah. But, like, it's uh, very recently the gatekeepers have been actually... yeah acknowledging inclusivity in a real way right and we are seeing change it's like all major change it's not happening overnight mm-hmm. it's still a it's, it's still a, a, a progress in progress and i think for women the bi- biggest advice i can give is to be each other's allies mm-hmm. i cannot tell you how many times i have been shot down or been somebody was rude to me or not wanting to hire me who was a woman because she came from a generation before and you know I feel like you and I actually were the last generation that still had to come up in under the rules of the old boys club and sometimes women who are our senior forget Mm -hmm. that And there's nothing wrong with being an awesome, woke, outspoken millennial. However, we were, we came up in this industry just like they did where we really had to fight to, to have our voice heard. Mm -hmm. And so that always hurt me specifically. If a man was not giving me the respect, it's annoying, but it is an annoyance I have dealt with my entire life. And when it comes from a woman, I'm just like, whoa. Yeah. Why why aren't you being my ally in this? Yeah. And you know, it's happening less and less, which is really, yeah. really great. But or, or be each other's be each other's allies, girls. Yeah. Be we're sisters. Or the reverse where you get the interview because you're a woman oh, and yes. you like need to fill their quota. Oh yeah, and then they tell you that straight up that we're only interviewing women for this position and it's like yes you get a cookie and a medal good for you but like it puts it into perspective like I potentially wouldn't have been called into this room if if not for the my gender and that it's you know I'll take it but like it's you know there's something that feels odd about that and I I didn't even notice this until I was in my 30s honestly like I Mm -hmm. just you know was rolling with the punches and this is the way of the world and then when I started working more commercially and I kind of stopped and looked around it was just like yeah there's not that many women directors Mm -hmm. working on Broadway is there and do you find because I have found that sometimes actors or creative team members don't really like taking direction from a woman oh yes absolutely um not my creative team I mean I I yeah all of the designers that I've worked with, man or woman, have had no problem. Like, the designers that I haven't had problems with, you know, the, pro- right. the, the designers that I continue to work with, you know, no. Gender's not an issue. It's just yeah. we are all artists. We're really in love with each other's brains and creativity. Um, actors, yes, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. I've had issues with male actors who don't want to take a note from me or who will go over my head to a producer right. or GM because they happen to be a man. Um and that is always very difficult, and yeah. it's troublesome because, like, with those, it's just I I don't yell. I always stay calm. I've never seen you like yeah. lose it. No, and I and I didn't lose it then either. But you know, that's a stern talking to. You know, if you're going to act like a child, I'm going to speak to you like a child. So I have to talk to a man in his fifties or sixties who right. you know blows up at another actress and then blows up at me and blows up at my stage manager and will only talk to the male producer yeah. to tell him, you know what are you doing and put him in check and when yeah. he says I have the most experience of anyone on this show and I say well act like it right. you know that it it becomes it becomes a constant thing I mean and that that was just that was one incident in particular but there there have been others you know right. where it's they I mean look at what happened in this country not that we need yeah. to get into that because then your podcast yeah. will be another six hours long Oof. but there is a fear of you know the the authority, yeah. the idea of authority is rep- is, is masculine yeah. in many people's minds. Yeah. And that needs to change, and it shall. Yeah. Um, just to, to close out, um, is there a... I always ask, is there a question in an interview that you've always wanted to be asked and no one ever has? <gasps> oh, what a good question, Ashley. That's my favorite question to ask. I mean, I always respond well to really specific questions in mm-hmm. interviews. I can tell mm-hmm. you what I hate being asked. Sure. It's just like, what are you going to do with this show? Or <laughs> um, I went into a, an interview recently where the producer, where it was my like second or third interview, and, they, and I had to present a pitch, and the lead producer just says, 
okay, go. Yeah. And I was like, ah! I was totally on the on the inside. I was yeah. fine on the outside. But it was just like, oh my gosh, where to even begin? So yeah. I appreciate the pointed, specific questions always mm-hmm. that I can give a thoughtful, comprehensive response to mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what I would really like to be asked you know, it's, why are you passionate about this project? You know, mm-hmm. no, like, I don't get that. I get, you know, what is your background with this? What would you do with this scene? Right. You know, I don't, like, the, what, why, why is your passion? Mm-hmm. Because that, I think, is it's something ineffable that when you get the opportunity to try to describe it, it opens up different windows. Yeah. In, when you're speaking to somebody, it opens up something in your heart instead of just your brain yeah. and I think that that is so important in the theater world that sometimes overlooked they yeah. just want the, the practical logistical right. approach to things although my comedy brain's going to the project that you're absolutely not passionate about but you need a paycheck and it's like well that's also true <laughs> why but are then, you passionate about this project if you can't think oh, on no. your feet and figure out a way to BS your way through that then you shouldn't be true. hired anyway absolutely um, is there <laughs> anything else you would like to share with our listeners before we close out just that you know keep listening guys Ashley's got this great podcast she talks to an eclectic group of theater theater professionals and I think what you're bringing you're bringing to the world with this is really fantastic thank you I just I'm smart in who I choose to interview and then let you be smart oh yay we're also smart yes everybody we're smart we're smart um how can people stalk you online my website, that's how old I am. I have a real website. Well, no, everyone needs okay. to have a website at this point. It's, uh, no, side note, for actors listening, I recommend actors a lot, and it is a problem if you don't have a website. There have been actors that like don't have websites that I can't hmm. send things. Hmm. Um, yeah. Well, mine is rachelkleindirector.com. Klein, is it spelled Rachel Klein? Yep, uh, R-A-C-H-E-L-K-L-E-I-N, mm-hmm. director. I also am on Facebook because I'm old, and I might Facebook join... Facebook is the best networking thing. Is it? Oh, it, I don't know. Oh, no, but it's great. Yeah. I might join Instagram because all of my dancers have yeah. been pushing this agenda from for many years, so as soon as I can sit down and have one of them show me how to do it... Yeah then that might be a possibility for the future. We'll see. Well, stock Rachel online and hire her because she's really, really good at what she does. Um, and all you Moneybags producers out there, yeah. write us a check for Lyra. Yeah. Like a big check. Yeah, like, a big one. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Um, and if you... If, I, Rachel's also just a really great mentor and just general person. So any designers and stuff out there... I don't want you to get like inundated with things, but no, that's reach fine. Out. Yeah, reach out. I love I love meeting new people in this industry. She's about to blow up, and then she won't be able to filter you filter through people anymore. So get her get her now. Thanks, girl. You're welcome. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this podcast. Um, I'm Ashley Griffin, your theatrical Hermione Granger, and stay tuned for more episodes of Stage Directions. Mm-hmm.